How crazy is it to dive into some of the topics we explore? Today's point of interest is no different. In looking into this one, you ask how a fellow human being could sink so low. How could his desires be so vile, his intentions be so clearly evil? His ambitions were seemingly to scale a height of immorality and indecency that would make the devil himself blush. Today, your investigators of the insane takes a look into one of the most heinous, double life having guys to regularly attend Sunday service. The Something Perplexing podcast takes a look at BTK. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> this one is depressing. Mary. This guy was so crazy. We had to just start recording instantly because it had so much things to say. You're going to introduce yourself or you're just going to let people guess who you are? I'm going to let the two people guess. <laughs> <laughs> My name's Issa. I'm Patty. And my name is Khaled. What's up, guys? Just wondering what your voice would be in this. I don't know, man. You know, but... it's normal because you know, normal people kill. You know, it doesn't have to be anything special. Mm. According to this guy, I wouldn't. I wouldn't call him normal, but okay. <laughs> well, his people thought he was normal. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> we'll talk about that. Well, uh, Dick. Let me let me let me jump into the background of this dude. So BTK, this guy, born 1945, born in uh, Pittsburgh, Kansas, grew up in Whitaker. All right, came from a, a relatively big family. I think a family of five. All right, he had like notes saying that he felt ignored by his mama. Apparently, that led to a lot. <laughs> After high school. He went into college. Grades wasn't too good, so he dropped out. So between 60 and 67, he was in the U.S. Air Force. And that's like a, a serious, serious commitment, you know? And he was like four years solid, 66 to 70. <laughs> After he left active duty in 1970, he met his wife in the uh, church group. So he was big into the whole church. And one of the church groups he had, he met his wife, Paula Deitz. And they were like super excited. Got married in 1971. My guy went back to school. He got like his associate's degree by 73. By 79, he had his uh, bachelor's in admin administrative justice. <laughs> like no joke. This guy, like, he, he went to school. He finishes his degree. Between 74 and 88, he was working at, like, ADT security, installing uh, security systems. During the period of time when a lot of people was getting security systems because BTK was on the news a lot. And <laughs> wow. Creating <laughs> his own okay. business. Yeah. All right. His own yeah. Okay. You guys, did you guys see Red Dragon? You see no. Red Dragon with Ralph Fiennes? Mm -mm. No. It was like one of the Hannibal sequels, one of the uh, Silent City Lamb sequels. And mm -hmm. Ralph Fiennes mm -hmm. had played this guy called Red Dragon and he was like a, a, a serial killer. He was a, he was a ADT dude. That's where they get from. And I just realized oh. that 
he used to secure that's how they find him because he was the one who was in uh installing like security and doing videos and stuff like that anyway in 89 guy made like a drastic career change and became a dog catcher a what (laughs) a dog catcher that's what i thought you said he was a dog catcher not a door catcher not a door catcher a dog catcher he was a dog catcher and like I don't know why he leave the ADT gig. Like I didn't read, I, I didn't get that part of it, but I know like it had plenty reports for the, uh, when he was in the dog catcher or like, he was like one of those dudes who would take it super seriously. Like they had somebody complain about him that he kill a dog for no reason. He was getting the complaints since then. He was like one of those overly aggressive dog catchers. But well, I don't know if you're going to touch on it, but I read somewhere that when he was a kid he would torture animals that's the thing so going back so now now so guys when you said like, when you said dog catcher that's why i was like did you say dog catcher okay dog catcher so <laughs> he's a dog catcher at this point and between 1974 and 1991 he was killing people he was doing a shitload of killing i don't think i mentioned his name man raider dennis raider yeah dennis raider so aka the btk aka the btk buddy he w- he was killing between 74 and 91 right and then he would take breaks which a lot of psychologists and psychiatrists would call cool down periods um he had a particularly long break in 1986 to 1981 so now we have this lifespan right 45 to 91 guys seemingly regular series of careers not exceptionally brilliant not exceptionally bright no 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 big massive career accomplishments you know but he do some he he keep food on the table right (laughs) when he got married he had two kids a boy and a girl the girl ended up uh, writing a book about her dad the son his comments about his father I couldn't find any man like the ex-wife the ex-wife was like super mom about it too the day he was arrested in 91 she filed for like this type of divorce and it was like that but when they were when he was starting to make the confessions about his life and his crimes that's when you kind of find out that he had this this feeling of being ignored by the mom he mentioned specifically that he would like have periods where he would dress like a woman he was a a yeah, he would dress like a woman. He would dance around and stuff like that. He would like Buffalo pictures. Bill. Like Buffalo Bill, he would do okay. a little tuck. He would do. He would tuck, right? Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if he would tuck, guys. I don't know. I, <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to defame him. Yeah. Don't wanna, I don't <laughs> want to defame him. You didn't dig deep enough, Issa. <laughs> I didn't dig deep enough to find out if he talks. <laughs> but he was. He, he did go through that. You know, he would send pitch, take pictures of himself wearing women's clothes. As a child, he had like that tendency, like a lot of uh, crazy serial killers. They had that animal killing tendency. So he would do that. Uh, yeah. And I tell you, between that period of time, this guy was just killing people like he was going out of style. And when you look at this guy's picture, the most dog catcher looking ass dude you would possibly see. Like, just regular looking dude. 
<laughs> it had one incident, one incident, right? When I was looking up on his daughter, his daughter wrote the book about him. She, she, she have a lot to say. She actually say that in some respects, she feel like she was a victim of his crimes. You know, she, she, she say that, and it was such a weird idea, right? And I'm not discarding her feelings, but she was like, while she was pregnant, while the mom was pregnant with her, and she was like, still a baby, he would be killing people and coming home and, you know, being with the family. So she was like, it, it was, it, it's so strange. She, at this point, she had said she forgive him. And she basically accepts. Mean, she's alive, so. I, yeah, she alive, I mean, I don't mean right? to dismiss her feelings. But yeah, it's kind of right? Like, you forgive him? That's nice. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> he didn't kill me, so, you know. Yeah. I and I don't, I don't think she means it like that, because I've seen her in interviews, and she seems like she's really affected by this rightfully mm. so, right? Yeah. Yeah. But it's almost like. And I get that she had to come to terms with it, but there's people that are still mourning their family members and have to deal with this day in and day out, what he yeah. did, because like the murders are particularly horrific, you know? So, so guys, when, when you were checking out your research, did you hear anything about him saying he was possessed uh, by a demon? I'll touch on that. Um, okay. Well, I'll talk about it now, because who cares? But at yeah. one point, in one of the letters that he writes, he compares himself to, give me a second. He compares himself to Son of Sam, um, Jack the Ripper, and the Hillside Strangler murderers. And he was saying that they were all motivated by a supernatural force in that letter. And that's a letter that he sent in 1978 to the Wichita Eagle, which is like a local paper. Um, so he did say that, but I didn't dive deep into that. If I'm being honest, um, it was just kind of something that I happened to see. That's what his church believe, right? So I think, and he was such a right, yeah, right, no, right. So seriously, it have articles upon articles oh, about piss me off, <laughs> No, serious about how the church had deal with this because everybody was in such shock. You know, I just think about just the idea. You know. You with this guy every Sunday. Everybody have good intentions. Everybody you think are wrong, you have good intentions. And this guy is literally killing people and bringing the bodies to the church. Did you guys read about that one case? I'll, yeah. yeah, I'll talk yeah. about it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I was trying to do some research to see if there was any connection between, like, did Ed and Lorraine come and check him out? But I think Ed had died no. already. No. Did they come and check him uh, out to see? You know? Did he? I think Ed died in 2006 and he was captured. He was arrested in 2005, right? I think. Yeah. 2004, 2005. Yeah. Yeah. I'll talk about my feelings on the church and on him at the end, in the closing thoughts. But I feel very strongly about this. Yeah. Okay. I mean, <laughs> so let's dive in. Let's dive in. Dive in. Into the so killing. You, okay. So. Dennis Rader, as you call them, he tortured and killed 10 people. It was seven women, one man, and two children in and around the Wichita, Kansas area for a 17-year period, starting in 1974, like you mentioned, until 1991. He committed his first crime when he was 28, and his last crime he committed at the age of 45. He typically would kill his victims during the day, which is kind of 
ballsy, right? Uh, although he does deviate from that at some points, and we'll obviously talk about those crimes. He called his murders projects, which is so freaking offensive. It's like, this guy's enraging. I'm going to be enraged a lot while we talk about this. So yeah, but he calls them projects. And so he would typically check out the women or how he calls it during his trial. He would troll them. Um, so he would, of the ones that he would troll, he would pick a few that he would end up stalking. And of the ones that he would stalk, he would end up choosing the ones that he would murder. So his murder spree began in 1974. And at that point, Issa, you didn't touch on it. And I don't think it was a major part of his life, but he had been an electrician and he was laid off work. Mm. And shortly after he's laid off work, he starts the killing sprees. So an assembler. Yeah, he was like in a, a, a construction company. In oh, 73. Okay. Yeah, and that's when oh, he okay. leave. And that's when he get into the uh the, the get a job at the ADT and start killing. Yeah. yeah, right. So while his wife is asleep on the morning of January 15th, it's early morning, uh, let's say around before 7 a.m. Right. Um, he takes off that morning and breaks into the house of the Otero family where he killed his first four victims. Joseph, that's the father, Julie the mother, and then the two kids. Two of the kids, because the family had five children, three of them were in school, but he kills two kids, Joseph Jr., who was nine, and Josephine, who was 11. So how he gets into the house is he waits for the family to open the door to let the dog out, and so he's able to enter the home. In this particular crime, he was focused, so disgusting, on the 11-year-old girl, Josephine, and he later stated that he was attracted to Hispanics and had seen the young girl before, like she had dark hair, had a darker complexion. So that's what he was into. So he kills the parents and he kills her brother. And then he takes her to the basement where he hangs her. And then he masturbates and ejaculates on her, right? So he uh. discloses during the investigations, this is awful, that when Josephine asked him what was going to happen to her, he tells her, and I'm going to quote it, well, honey, you're going to be in heaven with the rest of your family. He takes pictures of the bodies. He takes some of Josephine's underwear. He takes a radio. I think the radio belonged to Joseph Jr. And he takes the dad's watch. And he keeps these as mementos of, of that first killing. So that afternoon, Charlie, who I believe is the oldest boy in the Otero family, comes home and he finds that his four family members are dead. About a month after that, he plants a letter at the library. This guy's so twisted. He plants a letter at the library and he lets media outlets know that he's planted that letter at the library and that it's hidden in a book. They find it. And in that letter, he outlines how he murdered the Oteros. So the Wichita Sun, which I believe was like a weekly newspaper, ends up publishing the letter. And in that letter, he signs that letter off with Yours truly guiltily, guiltily, and he adds that his code name should be BTK for bind them, torture them, kill them. So this guy is super, obviously super, he's been planning this, right? Because he knows what he wants his name to be. He knows how he's going to try to play the media. He's just super, to me at least, he seems super manipulative. And like, this is something that he's been cooking up. Man, oh man. You know, for the Josephine killer, and I, I, I show you read this, like he made the kids observe how he murdered the parents. Yeah. So the mom at one point, I didn't want to go into too much because there's 10 murders and I kind of talk about all of them, but oh. I don't want to like write 3000 details about each of them, but he 
the mom, he thinks that he kills the mom. And at one point she wakes up and she pleads for her son's life. I guess maybe Josephine wasn't around at that time because he had put the bag over the son's life. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, 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 whatever. So he ends up killing the mom and then finishing off Joseph. But yeah, he makes the kids watch. And at one point, Josephine apparently is like yelling out, I love you, mommy. I mean, it's just, oh, it's awful. Girl. And yeah. it's interesting how he gets into the house. When he gets in, he, he makes them all calm down by telling them, hey, I'm just going to rob you, take your car, eat some food, make me a BLT yeah. sandwich. In this particular case, and he has two different stories from what I read. In this particular story, he says that he's a fugitive from California and that as long as he gets money and food, that he's, they're going to be fine. Uh, you know, and so they start to accommodate him and then things change. Wow. How long? So at this point, he's 29 years old. 28, okay. I believe. At this point, he's 28. Wow. Yeah. This is so, what. This is what crazy about this thing, man. Mm -hmm. This guy, like I'm telling you, so I don't know if it's a double life. I don't know if it's, it's a, a double life. It's a double life for sure. Life. But this I, is if this isn't a double life, I don't know what is. This is it. Yeah, but like this in terms it. of like being a split personality, though, I don't know if that's the case because like this guy, it was just one person. Like he knew what he was doing. And he, it was like, a, he was getting kicks off that shit, you oh, know? Yeah. There's a therapist on YouTube that makes videos. His name is Dr. Grande. I didn't watch the whole uh, BTK episode, but apparently he was diagnosed as narcissistic and obsessive compulsive disorder. Definitely he's narcissistic. You can tell just by how he wants the celebrity, by writing these letters, uh. by reaching out to, these, to the media. Um, he obviously thinks he's, well, I don't want to say that he thinks he's very bright because he's not going to get caught. Because part of me thinks he wanted to get caught. Did anybody else get that feeling? Yeah, yes, I, I got that feeling. Yeah. yeah. So, he was uh, giving them evidence. I think he wanted the, the notoriety. Like, he thought he was mm -hmm. doing something impressive. You know what I mean? Like, and the yeah, way was, he would call them projects, like, it was almost yeah. like this task that he had to complete. Yeah, when some of the notes he had given to the cops, he had his name in there. He had put the ad his address in there. He would put the numbers right. There was one the letter numbers. that had the D Raider, and they had the numbers sixty two twenty and sixty two twenty was his house number. So definitely he was he was giving clues, like mm -hmm. yeah, for sure. So we'll go to the second murder now. So the second murder actually happened that same year on April 4th, and he killed college student Catherine Bright. So Catherine is with her brother Kevin when they arrive home at around 1 p.m. Raider greets them. He's wearing a ski mask. He's pointing a pistol, and he tells them the same story that he told Doteros, that he was on the run and that he wouldn't harm them if he gives them money and food. So he ends up tying them up. He actually shoots Kevin twice, and once he believes that Kevin is dead, he tries to go to strangle Paula, but because, and this is his direct quote, she fought like a hellcat. He actually ended up stabbing her 11 times and she ends up leading to death. So this is the one murder where he doesn't asphyxiate and strangle his, his victim. He actually ends up stabbing her because she was putting up a fight. So, and then the brother actually did survive this ordeal and he shot him in the head. So it's a miracle that he survived, but he did survive and he ends up running out of the home. No it shot way. Twice, right? it shot Holy crap. Yep. So after he kills Catherine, he finds out that his wife, Paula, 
uh, who we will talk about later because I have some feelings, is pregnant with their second child. And so he takes a break from killing until March 17th, 1977, uh, when he kills Shirley Vian Relford. And Shirley, this is really sad because Shirley is actually not his target for this killing. But it turns out that the woman that he actually wanted to murder, I think, was away. She wasn't in town. So he starts to wander the streets like he's ready to kill. He starts to wander the streets looking for a target and he sees this child walking home. So he approaches the child and he claims to be a private detective searching for someone and he makes small talk with the child. The child talks to him and then the child leaves. So he continues to watch this child. And when the child gets home, he knocks on the door and eventually convinces this child to let him in. Once he's inside of the home, he pulls out a pistol and he puts the three children who are ages four, six, and eight. He tells, he pretty much tells Shirley that he has a sexual dysfunction, which is kind of his other story. And that if he does what he has to do, that he's going to do X, Y, Z, he's going to tie them up and rape them in short. And then they're under the impression that, okay, if I comply with this, I'm going to live. So they end up going along with it. But he ends up putting, she ends up convincing him to put the children in the bathroom with toys. Then ties her up, strangles her, kills her. He actually wanted to kill the children, but they're screaming. It's chaotic. And then the phone rings. And I think that just kind of like set him off. He was like, oh, the phone is ringing. Maybe somebody's going to come. That's my idea. So he decides to leave. And those kids actually end up surviving. Oh, um, really? kill them. Yeah. So, so wait, wait, wait. The college girl, he'd target. And then he, the college girl had like he a He had son. been watching her. Wow. The college girl is Catherine and she was with her brother, Kevin. He wasn't expecting Kevin to be home. I think that really derailed his plan. And I think that's why it, the situation just got really frantic where he ends up shooting him. And then he's trying to strangle her. She's putting up a fight and he stabs her. And I think that he is somebody to me, it seems that is very methodical and needs things to go according to plan. And when they don't go according to plan, he flips. And there's another one that's kind of like that, but we'll talk about it when it comes up. Whoa. I heard he was upset that he couldn't get to kill those kids, right? Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure he was upset that he couldn't kill Mm -hmm. those kids. And the irony is that that case that he didn't even know that woman. It was just that the particular woman he wanted to kill wasn't available to kill. And he had it in his head that day that he was going to kill someone. Wow. About nine months after that, in December 8th of 1977, he strikes again, and this time he kills 25-year-old Nancy Fox. So this murder is actually different because it actually takes place in the middle of the night. He breaks a window. He enters her home. He tells Nancy the same story that he told Shirley, the one about his sexual dysfunction. And she obviously expects that he's going to rape her, but instead, after he ties her up, He strangles her with a stocking. After she's dead, he masturbates and ejaculates. Then he calls the police from a payphone and tells them what he's done. Now, this is the part that got me like, if this would have happened today, this guy, like, he would have lasted murdering people like for three minutes because he would have been, you said in the beginning, he's not smart. He's, he's not very bright. Like his letters, his writing is not, he's not articulate and screw being articulate. He can barely spell. You know what I mean? Like it's not even that they're not composed in a wonderful, you know, Um, literary way. It's almost like he, he doesn't even have 
he can't even spell. So when you told me that he graduated college, I was actually honestly surprised. I didn't know that he had gotten that far. Yeah, wow, dude, damn. After that murder of Shirley in 1978, in January 31st, 1978, he sends the Wichita Eagle that note where he puts the stuff about the supernatural element that is, you know, part of, of why he's a murderer. And he compares himself to Jack the Ripper, the son of Sam, the hillside strangler. So that letter happens there. So a couple months later, well, not a couple months later, a year and a couple months later in 1979 on April 28th, he breaks into the home of a woman named Anna Williams. She's very fortunate and she evades death because she actually ends up returning home later than what he expected. So he leaves and he does leave her a letter letting her know how close she had come to death. After that, that <laughs> yeah, that's nuts. After that, he takes, I'm going to call it a hiatus. He takes a hiatus until 1985. And that's when he murders. This is the church one. That's when he murders 53-year-old Marina Hedge. He called this murder Project Cookie. Uh, she's actually, Marina Hedge is actually a neighbor of the Raider family. And so he breaks into her home while she's not there. When she returns, when she gets home to his surprise, she actually has a male companion with him. So he actually waits in the house until the male companion leaves to kind of act on his plan. So he strangled her with pantyhose and then he took her body to his church where he was president of the church council mm -hmm. where he photographed her corpse in sexual positions and then he later dumped her body in a ditch off a dirt rope. So that happened April 27th. They found her body on May 5th. Raider thinks that this killing is a like... A month later, they find the body? No, April 27th through May 5th, which is probably about a week. Oh, 27. Still... I thought you say April 7th to, to no, May. April I was like, oh. But that's oh, still damn. a long time, man. It you is, know, yeah. for a body to be sitting out there decomposing. Yeah. So he thinks that this killing, like, he thinks he's just really outdone himself and so the reason for that is because she was a neighbor of the family this is somebody that he would drive by her home and wave at her in the morning this, this is so fucked wow. you know and the reason that he thought this was so impressive is because as he said serial killers don't kill in their own habitat so there he yeah. is with his narcissism again thinking and he's just so like making all these amazing rules yeah and i had read that one too like he was so excited about the fact that she was like two houses away like it was a big deal for him like that was the accomplishment yeah. that she was she was living so close by yeah. i was like wow man yeah he kills his ninth victim the year after in 1986 on September 16th. Her name is Vicky Weggerly. I think that's how you pronounce it. She's 28 years old. And when he kills her, her two-year-old son is actually watching from a playpen. So how he gets into this house, I should have said there were three stories. I forgot about this one, is that he has a fake ID. He's wearing a uniform and he tells her that he's a telephone repairman. Once he's inside the house, he pulls a pistol on her. He eventually ties her up with leather shoelaces, strangles her, and then photographs her dead body. Uh, another thing that's really messed up about this one is that for years after Vicky's death, her husband, Bill, is actually the main suspect of her murder. So this guy, Bill Weggerly, loses his wife. His son watched this whole thing and this very brutal murder right and then on top of that for years he's questioned about the murder of his wife 
Dude, the police force in this particular area had to be the most incompetent batch of people ever. And like, I'm so sorry. Like, I probably disrespect somebody who spent plenty of time you... trying to think, but it's like, dude, what the fuck? Like, how, what great on for the police system there, dude? We're, we're going well, over the officers there, man. I tried to find the demographics for Wichita in the, in the 70s and the 80s to see like what was going on. Was there very, not a lot of crime? Was there too much crime that they couldn't focus on it? But also some people were focused on the wrong direction. Apparently in some of his letters, he would use police terminology. So some people actually thought he was a cop. Some people thought that at some points he was dead because he would wait so long before um committing murders like he would wait so long for years before committing murders so it was kind of there was not a lot of dna stuff his dna was there but when they would test it since he hadn't really committed crimes where his dna would have been found and put into a system there was nothing that they could do so i i don't know that they were incompetent i think times were different i think we're accustomed to now there's cameras everywhere your cell phone tells you tells everyone where you are at any minute of the day but i think back then times were very very different uh, explain something how did they how did they not choose the husband as a suspect what caused them not to look at him anymore i and blame btk you know i don't know i didn't find that but you know in all the shows i watch the the spouse is always suspected when mm -hmm. a spouse dies so i didn't even think that was out of the norm i just thought it was really messed up for this poor guy that he it's unfortunate you know for this poor guy that he's going through all this trauma he has to grieve his wife he his child is probably very traumatized because even though he's two he's just seen a very very traumatic thing wow. and then on top of that he has to deal with people thinking that he murdered his wife but i like, don't know Khalid, that's a good question i'm surprised btk didn't come on way. i did it you know he didn't do it i did it Come look at me. Come find me. You, you know, know you know, it's funny. He didn't. He he actually never said it wasn't me. He at one point, apparently, and I didn't write it in my notes, so I don't remember what the crime was. But apparently at one point he tried to take um, responsibility for a crime he didn't commit. That was then actually ruled a suicide. But he said, I killed that person. And then it was found out that that was a lie. So. bad police work maybe it was uh, a murder and maybe you know, maybe it could have been just, i didn't look into that one enough to really know the specifics so i don't even know because he he likes to take credit for for his work and he 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 really corrects people when they're wrong so possibly i don't know right and when the oteros were murdered they actually the police actually arrested some people and he wrote to the police and was like those people they're not the ones that did it it's me i'm here you know oh no so, way yeah wow i didn't know that damn yeah mm -hmm. yeah he wants his credit like he he mm -hmm. in his trial if you watch the video of his trial he gives so much information nonchalantly me because we were talking about it earlier like it's just like so matter of fact that he gives so mm -hmm. much information it's like he's proud of what he did and he wants people to know exactly what he did he's just like it's like twisted, no remorse, like no remorse zero, at zero, all, yeah. at all, at all, at all. So we'll talk about his last victim. And then before Khalid goes on to talk about the arrest and the and the trial, I do want to talk about his wife. So on 1991, so remember that the ninth victim was 1986. This was in 1991, January 19th. He kills 62-year-old grandmother Dolores Davis. 
He throws a concrete block through her window, gives her the story about him being a fugitive. He handcuffs her and eventually ends up choking her for like two to three minutes until she dies. That was January 19th. Her body was found February 1st, so about two weeks later. So her body was just there for, for two weeks. In all the accounts that I have found about Raider, he's described as a very attentive father. Even his daughter has said that she never would have guessed it, which I guess she was a child, right? And that he was, you know, this wonderful husband. And so the possibility that his wife had no idea I'm sure is completely there, but there, I don't want people to be like, there were no red flags because there were red flags that are a little unsettling to me. So when the media outlets start to release his letters, remember he has terrible spelling. She reads the letters. Obviously everybody's reading these letters. This was a big thing. And but his wife says, reading the letters at this time. Okay. She says wow. to him at one point, you spell just like the BTK. That could have been a joke. No. There's more. Wow. There's more. There's more. He had a sealed box in the home that he shared with his wife, Paula. Issa, if you had a sealed box in your house, would your wife just be like, oh, he has a sealed box. It's there. I can't, And that's something I wanted to bring up. So a couple of things. One, I can't have shit. <laughs> no, it's not a sealed box in this apartment. I'd be like, what the fuck is that? Open it. I want to see it. And anything, because I think it's anything bad. I'm just curious. I want to know what it is. Anything I have sealed or put away or chipped in a corner, she is aware and she want to know what it is. <laughs> right? That's right. Second, if I go to grab tacos with a dude <laughs> and get like some beers and some tequila, she gonna know. She gonna know where. Like it, it have. Like I trying to think how he could be in this relationship with this woman for twenty years, and then just leave the home for four to six hours to get some, to get some trolling in. You know. Like where? How how are you playing that off? Like how are you getting that 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 conversation going to get your trolling time going? There's Probably. more. So no. the box. Just before I move on to the last point that I need to make, which is a very big point, the box actually has pictures of him. Have you guys seen these pictures where he's dressed mm -hmm. up? He steals these mementos. He steals underwear. He steals undergarments. He dresses up in this stuff, and mm -hmm. then he'll reenact the crime scenes. And some of these pictures are online. So that box has those pictures. That box has licenses of the people he's killed. The you know things that he takes from the families. That's what's in that box. She never managed to. She never opened the box. She. It's just there in the house, just whatever. So this is the last point. There were three women in the time frame of the 1980s to the mid-90s that filed restraining orders against him. Do no. you telling me? Yes. Are you telling me that his wife didn't know? It's possible that, that, you know, it was a different time. Maybe she was taught to kind of stay in her lane. And again, she may not have known, but there were signs. You know what I mean? Like, I hate the idea that this was a perfect dude, that there were no signs. And it just enrages me because people take people that go to church and it trumps their actions. And we need to stop looking at people on paper, yeah, on man. what they do. I go to church, I do this, I do this, and look at their actions and what they're actually doing because this is enraging. <laughs> Yeah, anyway, sorry. No, <laughs> I feel you 100%. Like, 
I, I, I didn't know he had, it had three women who filed restraining One of them actually answer. had to move because she was scared of him. So she actually moved so that he wouldn't know where she was. While he was like a county employee or something, you know. So he was, at one point, he was a census worker. I saw this yeah. in a documentary that I saw about him. He was a census worker. So After he had access, thing. Yeah. knew exactly what was going in, in everyone's house. And because he was this church member, he was a community, like he just was in the community. People just thought he was yeah. harmless, right? Before the dog catching him. He had all this access. Mm-hmm. All yeah. this access. Goddamn. Yeah, before oh, yeah. the before the dog catcher gig, right? Between 89 and 91, that's when he was a census supervisor. Yeah, like literally he would know how many people live in, in this house, man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. And I what time, and he would watch what time their activities, what time they would leave, what time they would go. And he seemed harmless. So if you saw him driving through your neighborhood, you wouldn't think anything of it, probably, you know. The wife, I tell you, I had no um, no comments on it after, right? No. The she daughter, divorced him immediately when he admitted immediately. to the crime. So she had to have, like, some kind of, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, um, I couldn't, I, I, I don't know. Yeah. The daughter had mentioned that it had an incident where he had, like, put his hand around... Um, Brian, his son, his son neck, and try to choke him out. And oh, then he catch himself ooh, and real? stuff. Yeah, like one time it was alleged. Oh, wow. So he, he pulled that one, but he never did anything to the daughter. And the daughter would mention on several occasions that he was a good dad. Yeah. That she was well, like she was yeah. his daughter and she was a child, so I could see that, but everyone else, like I, I know and I could be wrong. I have no idea, but I know that whenever a lot of people commit horrific crimes. We're like, I didn't have a clue that he was capable of this. And I just don't buy that. I think there are always signs. It's just sometimes people don't want to see them. I just think there's always signs. And I, like I said, I could totally be wrong. I don't know. I'm not an expert in the field. I just don't buy that. I don't think most people wake up one day evil. And, and he, even if he was the smartest guy in the, in the world, I just don't think that he would be able to keep those two lives so separate. They had to intermingle at some point. I think um, this is that, crazy. Go ahead, bye. That therapist you were mentioning, Patty, the therapist you were mentioning online, he was talking about the um, trauma. This guy has no documented trauma in his history as the Hillside Strangler or the other mass serial killers. They have a trauma in their past he has nothing documented he was neglected by his mother he felt ignored maybe he was getting ignored. his maybe he was just get he tried to get revenge on that by getting media attention you yeah, know that's sure. his attention his mother's attention right that there. makes total maybe sense. but yeah, um, that makes total sense what happened where, where did this guy come up and become this killer was it in vietnam did he do something there that we don't know about you know he came back I mean, with some stress I think it started as a kid because he was killing animals. And yeah, killing animals, killing animals. But then he's, yeah, then he's saving animals later in life. Allegedly, I don't know. He talks about him going out with his daughter he and was, teaching them he, about the love yeah, of animals. He was, he was playing a role. Know. He was, playing, he was a playing a role. Yeah, for sure. But yeah. man, dude, did you guys read about like his time in the army? Though, like any kind of no, testimonies from people who he served with? No. no. You got something? I would love to hear that because, like, we had. 
We had no, no, I didn't, I didn't see anything on that one either. But we had no dudes who like served and like was in Iraq and stuff like that too. And mm. it was like, man, it had genuine psychopaths. <laughs> you know what I mean? And they would do like crazy shit, like cut camel heads off and shit like that. Khalid, and I don't go, I can't bring up there, but you yeah. know this dude. And this dude is like a I, solid, good I think, fucking guy. I, but well, he describes cycles like he had to well, serve I, with, you know. I think he was talking about how they sacrifice his camel to eat, you know. You know, it was like a big deal that they got to eat this camel, got to chop his head off. Cool, camel meat. So while he was in the military in the United States Air Force, he actually won multiple awards: Air Force Good Conduct Medal, Small Arms, Expert Marksmanship, Ribbon, National Defense Service Medal. Wow. Okay. Dude, that guy was just a robot in the army. He was just there to shoot and serve and do his thing. And then he come back and it was like a role to be a dad and to get a job and to work his job and then to do these Sunday activities and stuff like that. And then in between that, it was like his real inner core and that need just to kill. I think he was keeping it super separate, dude. I think he was like training himself to keep shit separate all his life. And I think the army was part of that. I think the kind of jobs he had was part of that. And I think like the family life on the whole was a part of that. I don't know if, if this guy would have been as crazy if he had like a roommate, if he didn't get married, if he was just chilling with a dude, you know, and he was having fun, you know, on the weekends, and he didn't have the other, yeah. I think he still would have been as crazy. <laughs> I think he would have been as crazy, Probably. but I think like he needed to have that family structure to be that killer. Like I think about that one. Like I don't know if he would be a serial killer the way he was if he didn't have that alternate life, where like, he pretended to be so. Where wonderful. he pretend to be wonderful. Where he pretend to be a good dad. Where he pretend to be uh, like I think that was part of it. I think that feed the psycho part of it. I think it was it like just... one. I think he needed to have that part. And I think that was part of the guy. kicks. I think that was, yeah. yeah, that was part of the kicks for him. That was the part of the, oh man, like I'm going to kill this lady and then I'm going to go yeah. home. And, 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 gonna let... and be a perfect husband. And, dad. and he said, because all these items he took, he said, you should be thanking me because I took these items and I, you know, relieved myself by reliving these experiences with it. If I didn't take these items, I'd just have to go and do it again. So wow. that's the one of the purposes why he took all these items. So I love that he thinks that we should be thankful for we that. Be what a guy. Yeah. <laughs> could have been killing a lot more guys. But I took some stuff. <laughs> this guy, this guy. Wow. All, all of this leads to his downfall uh, of him being caught, you know, which was a, a, a kind of a cool little way that this story progresses, right? Yeah. Please uh, tell you, us. You want me to get into that? Story. Yes. Okay. So, so our man has been out of the media for how many years? To, to, uh, uh, 91. 91. So 14 years? 13? Yeah, 13, 14 years, right? So the, the local media in his county publishes an article saying, where did he go? What happened to him? Is he dead? I, we think he may have gotten arrested and he's in jail somewhere. So, you know, he got caught. He's not around. The man reads this. Mr. Mr. Uh, BTK, Dennis Rader, reads this and he's like, I'm not dead. He writes back to them 
and he sends them information about the murder and that he he's still around and he proves it by sending them a copy of the license of one of his victims so i think the one from 1986 and he sends a copy of the license and he's like i'm here i didn't go anywhere and he decides to drop off some packages in certain areas like he drops off a cereal box on the side of a road and in there there's evidence of all a murder he committed then he did it again he dropped it off at a home depot now a few late a few weeks later he's like do you guys get my second package he's like no we didn't get your second package turns out some home depot employee dumped the package the <laughs> cops eventually found the package okay. right but they also found a tv like a camera of him dropping off the box in his black Jeep Grand Cherokee. Oh, what I'm telling you, Cherokee. had he done this in the 2000s, he would have been caught in three minutes yep. flat. Yes. So, uh, so they say, okay, this guy drives a black Cherokee. So they have that bit of information. So he decides he's planning more options. Okay, you guys didn't give him a package. Next time I'm going to start doing something where I'm going to number the packages. So if you miss one, you know, you got to go look for it. So he has all these plans coming about. So he decides, um, like two weeks later, he, when he's talking to the cops, he's sending them messages like, hey, you guys, would it be okay if I send you a floppy disk? Can you trace that? Tell me the truth. And the well cops just, and, and, and he says to respond to him in the newspaper by putting in a message in, in the classified section, Rex, it'll be okay. And the cops do that, said Rex, it'll be okay. So he sends them a floppy disk, a test disk, right? And uh, from what I was reading, I get like conflicting stories about what's on the disk. They open the disk up and it says, okay, check the three by five card. <laughs> so there's a three by five card. I don't, I don't remember what was on the card, but in the disk, the floppy disk, there was some messages that got deleted. So the cops have something called metadata where they're able to look at files that were deleted. And in the files, they, they realized that it was uh, a local library where it, it was created and they had the words of his church the name what was the name of his church again um christ lutheran christian lutheran church yeah something christ lutheran church christ lutheran church and it said in the file last modified by dennis so they're like wait a minute last modified by dennis that did a little search and they saw that dennis was the like leader of the church they drove by his house they saw the black Jeep Cherokee and like, okay, all circumstantial evidence. Shit. Okay, what do we do now? They're like, okay, he has a daughter. Daughter had a pap smear done at a college. I think one of his second victims, I think it was Fox or something. She had scratched him so much. Somebody scratched him that DNA evidence in his fingernail and her fingernails uh, from, from the DTK killer. So I think that was some... Ka- I think it was Catherine because she's the Catherine? one that really fought. I think could yeah. be wrong. Yeah, well, she had like the, the DNA, his DNA in, in her uh, fingers, and they were able to match her, his daughter's DNA, saying that the killer was a familiar match. So they're saying, okay, you're the one, you're the killer. So they arrested our man in February 25th, like when he was driving, and the cops were like, do you know what you're arresting us, we're arresting you for? He says, I have an idea. I have an idea. He was and arrested. He was, Huh? In 2004, 2005, February 25th, 2005, like, like, is it a year later? The next, the following year? Um, but this guy, dude, he, he was upset with the cops 
like, why did you lie to me? Why did why did you lie to me about the business? You can't trust the but, cops. Who can you trust? Kind of. But then, then he was, he had written something in there and it made it look like he, he knew what he was doing. I don't know. It was, it was, it was, did he know what he was doing when he sent that disc? Did he really know what he's doing? Did he not know about uh, metadata? Because the way he wrote, he wrote down the, in, uh, the word, it made it sound like the program the cops are using to find information through metadata. I don't know. He, oh. he spelled it wrong, but did he really spell it wrong? Did he know? He wanted, he wanted to get caught, I think. So I whatever, he sent this this disc in, he gets arrested, and he decides not to say anything at his arraignment, right? So he gets arrested on the 25th. He gets um, charged with first-degree murder, 10 counts of first-degree murder on the, 20, on the 28th. Uh, his bail is set at like a million dollars, uh, $10 million on March the 1st. So they're kind of moving pretty quick with this. And on May 3rd, he goes in front of the judge. He doesn't say anything. He keeps quiet, shuts his mouth. The judge is like, I have to do something to protect his rights. So he, he enters a uh, plea of not guilty on his behalf. But there was no trial to come. You know, he eventually pled guilty to everything. And they couldn't get this man to shut up about all of the murders. He went into details about every little thing that was done. And he remembered almost everything. And what I saw, I only saw him like twice, like saying like, oh, I, like trying to really remember details. He remembered details. It's crazy. It's like yes. he was reliving this these moments in his head. Like mm -hmm. you said, Khalid, like he would relive them, he would take the mementos. He really was, because I can barely remember what I did yesterday. And this guy was remembering something he did in 1974. Right. I, don't, I don't know. Well, it's, it's like a, a thrill, like when something traumatic happens, you remember, you remember the day, you remember what, what happened that day, like when 9-11 happened, everybody remembers what yeah. happened that, that day. Right. Yeah, right. I think he was living a traumatic experience all the time. He could remember details, but he didn't remember, remember like all the details of like right. when he killed this person, how many times he had to strangle this person. But oh my God, dude, he was um, just watching him talk about his, his murders was was depressing. I was going to be like, you know, it's going to be a fun little topic to discuss about the BTK killer. I never checked anything about him in my entire life. I know that there was a killer called the BTK. You know, I, I'm like, oh, that sounds like a, a BLT a sandwich. I'm yeah. hungry. Let me go get something to eat. Uh, I never oh, researched man. anything. Researching this, I'm like, shit, I don't open my door. I, I'm going to be looking out all the time. People <laughs> get ideas about how to kill people through this type of thing, you know. Yeah. But he was so nonchalant about talking about all his murders and watching him in the arraignment, uh, like when he was being sentenced, he was saying, oh, I'm, I'm such a self-centered and I'm a horrible person. And he kind of apologized and he shed a few tears and just, it was, it was a long rant. His he was thanking his defense team. He thanked the people who walked him through the, the jail cell, the people who came and cut his hair, the people who helped him bring clothing to get him dressed. And you, you see his Oscar? defense. Yeah. yeah, you see the attorneys are just laughing. Okay, whatever. 30 minutes or more straight of him just talking and then he sat down. And then he corrected the uh, prosecution. The prosecution brought up evidence and he said, okay, this was incorrect. I didn't do it this way. This is actually what happened. So just to, not that it's going to affect me in any way, but I just wanted to set the record straight. This is how it went down. And like he corrected them on two things and then he sat down. He, sentence. One of the letters he sent, and he put 
he included the names for the chapters of a book that was going to be written about him. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Well, he's a, okay, this is what you should um, write about, basically. He's trying to push that out there. That's that's interesting. Yeah. I Like, I, I never dig into it either. And digging into it, like, it's so crazy how many movies with serial killers was actually referencing this guy. Like, even, like, it had points in, I don't know if you guys see this one called Seven with Brad Pitt and Morgan yeah, Freeman. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. That's yep. a great movie. Yeah. They, they had like things that that Kevin Spacey character was using in Seven that this guy was doing. <laughs> you know? They had like, I thought you had that Red Dragon movie and uh, Silence of the Lambs. It had so much, so much little different things that this guy was, that's where they get the information from. That thing that you mentioned with putting the ad in the classifieds, Red Dragon. Boom. Oh, wow. I didn't yeah, know they do that in Red Dragon too. And it was the same premise. He was trying to let the police send their code. He would want them to do it through the classified ads. He would read it through that. And that's how they was communicating. And Stephen and King did a, a movie, right? He made a movie. Yeah. Yeah. And I forget the name of it. Um, yeah. But Stephen King did do something. And I don't think he was happy with it. He <laughs> was like. And. And that Clovis Killer movie on Netflix is about the BTK killer. I haven't seen it, but it is. I saw a documentary where it's the Otero son. I think it's one of them. He's talking about the whole experience and the trial and all that. I'm going to try to find the name so I can tell you guys what it's called. Did we talk about the daughter in her book already? No. Who's going to Well, what'd you read? Because I, I see the daughter write that book, right? I know she had like used it as a kind of, it was like a therapy for her. That's the kind of impression I get, but I didn't really read the details of the book though. Like what'd she say? No, she's just talking about her experience with her, her father. And like she said, she was a therapy session for her basically to put yeah. it out there that she was yeah. a victim. She, she had to go through life thinking her father was one way. Then all of a sudden her father was somebody totally different. It, it was a shock to her system. Have you guys um, seen the, the, oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. The father was reached out to the media to respond to his daughter's book. So he wrote them like a 18 page letter about how he's okay with it's her story. And she, you know, she needs to express it herself. And he was like asking them, did you read my book? My, my, you know, a book that I have information on, whatever. He's trying to talk about himself, asking them to come for an interview. It's again, all about him trying to get all the attention he can get. A serial killer's daughter. My story of fate, love, and overcoming. That's, that's, that's the name of her book. Dude, remember the packages that he got caught in? The packages that he dropped off at Home Depot on the side of the road? They were in serial boxes. Was it a reason he put it in serial boxes? Because he's a serial killer? Oh, I didn't catch that. Me either. Why serial boxes? Hmm. You're smart. I did not catch that. And he probably thought that's how you spelled serial killer anyway, because he was excited. <laughs> was not. Oh man. <laughs> I don't I don't want to know what serial boxes he lose because I don't want him to like kill like Fruit Loops or Lucky Charms or anything for me. Um, oh, the, the documentary is called I Survived BTK. Uh, I can't find where it's streaming. It doesn't seem to be streaming anywhere. But it's during the actual trial. They talk to Charlie, which I think is the oldest of the Otero uh, children. Otero children? Of the oh, Otero okay, okay. children, the first wow. crime. Yeah. Damn. The one who was in school. 
in oh, that documentary i think it's in that documentary there is a part where he says that the reason that he started like communicating with the media again and stuff is because his kids were both off to college and he was bored oh wow, wow. i think it's that Crazy. documentary i've seen a couple of documentaries about it but i think it was that one did you guys in your research did you hear anything about him trying to people trying to sell his pants and his shoes and his stuff from jail well, there's a company called supernaught.com, uh, S-U-P-E-R-N-A-U-G-H-T.com. And they had items of his for sale. And people were asking, how yeah. the heck did you get items from the jail? Are they authentic? What's what's the deal? But they have a tendency of selling killers items, artwork, their socks, their shoes with their prison tag error or their signature on it. So they had a pair of his um, tennis shoes uh, for $900. They had um, a, for, a sweatshirt owned by Raider for $2,200. Uh, sweatpants for $2,500. And I think there was something for $6,000 they were trying to sell. And then when the media tried to reach out to them to see, hey, is it legit? What's the deal? Why are you selling this? People were upset. They took it down. And then a few weeks later, they put it back up again. So this website is crazy. <laughs> They right. have so many things. I'm not even looking at him. I'm just looking at the first page. Mm -hmm. It's insane. They have a Lynette from signed Charles Manson visiting pass from 1971 for $25,000. Somebody's going to buy that. Somebody's yeah. so going to buy that. Somebody's going to buy that. Somebody's going to buy that. But how in the hell, if this guy is in like solitary confinement, right? How in the heck did they get access for him to ship something out like that, you know? Oh, that's that's two, that's two K to the uh, prison guard, buddy. That's, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's two thousand to the prison guard. <laughs> you know, that's easy money, you know. Yeah. Oh, oh, socks! I got you on socks. I got you. Oh, I'll ship it up for you. Oh, wait, wait, wait! Used underwear? I got that one for you, buddy. Put, put it in the trash. I'll take we care got, of it. We got. I think we got underwear. His his gold teeth, whatever he had in his mouth, they were like, you know. Also That's for sale. His most expensive item that they're selling on Supernaut right now is his two dental crowns. They're disgusting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They're going for six thousand. And it's still up there. God Lord. Good Lord. Wow. This <laughs> is insane, Khalif. Why did you show me this website? I'm gonna look at I don't want to I don't want to check I it. Look at this I, all night. Yeah. I, I just I just saw it like a couple hours ago. I'm like, what is what is this? <laughs> Sorry about that. Wow. <laughs> the stuff he would send to his daughter, like the letters, did you guys see that from jail? He would like color on them. It's just so twisted. Well, yeah, he put he put a um, uh, emblem on it and it said something like cave or referring to the jail. He was living in a cave. So mm -hmm. he did like a, what do you call those shields or a crest? Oh, the, the crest. A crest. And he made it, you know, with the jail cell. He's like, oh, fancy and stuff about his letters. And Khalid, he couldn't get sentenced to death because he committed crimes before certain years or something? What well, was the story 1991, like he was his last crime. In uh -huh. 1994, Kansas said, okay, if you commit a crime, uh, you could be sentenced to death if, if it's heinous, whatever. So he didn't meet that timeline. So if he committed a crime in 1995, kill anybody else that's why they were digging into it to see if he did any other crimes maybe wow. he just kept quiet about it he's like oh wait a minute there's a new rule here let me keep my mouth shut i just want to be famous in jail not get wow. killed 
So yeah, 1991, no death penalty. 1994, death penalty. He committed no crimes after that. So. How do you eventually so. die, buddy? No, he's still alive, right? Still alive, yeah. He's serving 10 70. consecutive sentences. He's in his 70s. He, he has a minimum of 175 years. Wow. I think he's going to try and get all those years. I don't think he's going to make it. I don't think he's going to make it. And he's in solitary confinement. He has um, like one hour, five days a week to go outside. And then he can take a bath three times a week. He's allowed. So, and he's kept a separate for his own safety. Huh. Well, I mean, they, I'm they, pretty sure some people might want to fuck him up because what he did to kids. Because yeah, even killers yeah, got sure. got issues with kids. For you know, sure. yeah, the kids. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Not they, they would they would tear him up. They would. Yeah. Wow. Criminal justice system. You think he was uh, some some closing questions? You guys think this guy was possessed? You think it had like some kind of demonic hold on this dude? So this demon he was possessed with knew when he was at home. So the demon would be like, well, he's at home. We can't act up here. He but then all of a sudden, what he would be driving and murdering people, the demon's like, it's time. We're good now. No. <laughs> he was a no. psychopath. He was so you know? evil, dude. Dude, he was so twisted. I don't think possessions work like that. You know what I mean? I don't know, but I don't think so. I don't think it had like anything that influenced this guy outside of this guy. And it, I tell you, it's so weird. Like when you when you read some of the crap that happened to Richard Ramirez and some of the other serial killers that we had looked into, it's it like genuinely savage, man. Like some of these people went through some, but this dude. Like, like we were saying in the start, it, it was not that bad. It was like... Uh, he, we don't he, know. Well, we don't know. For sure. But it didn't yeah. have like any type of seriously traumatic issues in childhood. But yeah. At least we know about, you know? And you would I'm think sure that like somebody who had like so much, um, so much full disclosure coming down to the end, like he would want people to know that shit. That's what I think too. You know? I think unless, he would be quick to blame it on something, unless what color? Unless it's embarrassing towards him. So what if something happened to him and he doesn't, doesn't want to, you know, it doesn't sh show him in a, a nice light, you know? That's a good doesn't point. Show him in a nice light. What if, you know, something happened to him in Vietnam? Vietnam was a crazy war. People saw a lot of things. People didn't come back sane from that war. Did he see action? I don't know. He, he got some medals, you know, but who knows what he actually went down over there. Something, something happened to cause him to start killing people. He apparently claims at one point that he had a normal childhood. He was a boy scout, blah, blah, blah. But that he was dropped on his head as a kid. And that's yeah. why. <laughs> I dropped my brother twice on his head as a I kid. I dropped my kid on his head. I, I don't think <laughs> my brother turned out fine. I didn't uh -oh. purposely drop him on the head, though. My mom like, dropped just... me on my head when I'm... Well, I, she didn't drop me on my head. She left me on the couch unsupervised for a second, and I, like, jumped down, and she, like, freaked out. Yeah. I think I roll over. <laughs> I'm I super baby. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it had some messed up things happen to you as a kid that, <laughs> that you know, more direct supervision could uh, avoid the scenario. <laughs> but it went down, nevertheless. I still... Kill people okay. free. Yeah. Kill free. I still kill free. 
Congrats. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. No, but it just, it's like so insane for me. Like when I think about the degree of so-called normalcy this guy was, was living. But Patty, you bring up like that point you bring up with your wife, that was great. Because man, something had to be going on. And I tell you, she never make a statement to the media, never make a statement to anybody. No. The second he and was convicted. She filed for divorce immediately. And her, yeah. her, her, their daughter sticks by it. And she's like, there's no way my mom would have known. She never would have raised us with him. She would have never left him around. So I'm not saying that she flout out knew that he was doing this. I don't think she knew that. I don't. No. But there were little things that and maybe it was the time, you know what I mean? Maybe at that time when you were a wife, you didn't question what your husband was doing. And if your husband was out at 6.30 in the morning and he came home, you didn't say, where the hell were you for the last, you know, two hours or whatever. Yeah, um, that's... It's just, but he was, but he was committing the, those he's... murders during the day, so... Maybe. And some at night. And the oh. first one, he got up while she was sleeping at 6 in the morning. And like he was trolling people too, right? So he was there were stalking restraining his orders. victims. Yeah. There was the sealed box, which fine that you don't ask him, but your curiosity when he's out trolling or working, you don't have that curiosity to be like, what's in the box? Let me open the box. They sound like Brad Pitt in the. Yeah, um, man. Right? <laughs> um, but it's just, it's odd. And like I said, maybe she didn't know. Maybe she, but I don't think she knew. I should say that. I don't think she knew. But there were definite red flags. He wasn't this, I don't believe he was this picture perfect human being that never did anything mm-hmm. wrong. And then I just, I don't buy that. I mean, I think it's a guy who surrounds himself with those social norms that he considered to be a norm to build that, that, that weird illusion uh, uh, of what he considered to be a typical American family life. And then everything else was that true in a, all the killing everything else the the and i want to say like the cross dressing like is a bad thing but if you're a grown-ass dude and you like dressing like a woman i don't see the big deal in it but i feel like maybe in his case it was like it was something else it was it was also a different time you know what i mean when it was yeah right okay to dress up in women's like to put on a pair of women's underwear so i think that had a lot to do with it maybe he was super suppressed i didn't say this but when he killed the neighbor lady the marina lady he was actually chaperoning he was at a boy scout retreat he was chaperoning Mm. his boy scout retreat his son's boy scout retreat so he left oh he was a boy scout he was a cub scout committed cub scout committed Uh. that crime and then went back and the next day acted completely normal like nothing had happened like he just hadn't Murdered a woman, took her to a church, did X, Y, Z, and then threw her body in a ditch. And went back to the Boy Scout retreat. Mm-hmm. Wow. Went back to the retreat like nothing going on. Nothing. You ever get into like a big massive fight with somebody you love? You can't even have a straight conversation with somebody randomly right after that. You know, at no. least me. You know no. what I mean? Like I don't want to no. like if I had like a massive fight with somebody two seconds ago or something super shaky yeah uh, like if i talk into somebody on a casual vibe they would mm-hmm. get they would be like oh man yeah his ability to yeah his ability to come part time like to 
to, to print them out. Yeah, Com Com compartment. I can't even talk right now. <laughs> Me either. Uh, the All the water I've been drinking. It's second to none. Like honestly, it's second to none. Like, I, I wonder what's gonna happen when he dies. Is there gonna be a parade? Are people gonna be happy? I don't know. Uh, I'm pretty sure he has groupies. You think so? You think so? I'm pretty sure he does. I yeah. Think, I think we need to cover that on a separate episode, not just about him, but like uh, serial like killer groupies, because killer that groupies. is so insane to me. Like, yeah. You know what's funny is that you say that is that when I was reading about him, he kind of reminded me of Ted Bundy because Ted Bundy was also super narcissistic and thought he was just like the smartest, and he had groupies. Herpes. Yeah, but Ted groupies. Bundy. <laughs> <laughs> but Ted, Ted, Ted Bundy wasn't like a, a Homer Simpson looking dude. You know what no. I mean? No. Like this guy looked like a, a man version of Homer Simpson. You know what I, I mean? Like, and I don't want to insult old Homer like an evil Homer Simpson. So like, the you know first I mean? time I saw him and I didn't know anything about him, I said, I'm sorry, clown community. I appreciate you. I said, this guy's an off-duty clown. He gives me like that off-duty clown. Vibe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like when I <laughs> see him, I was like, it was weird. It was like us. It was like, oh, it, it was like a teacher from, from like high school. Who, you didn't want to be in that guy class, <laughs> you know, because that guy was super strict. And like when I was in, in like at the Caribbean school, they would, they would beat you. You know what I mean? They would like put rulers to you. So I was like, oh man, that's that's a teacher that would beat you. That is a teacher that would hit you with For a sure. ruler, you know? Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. He Colin, doesn't give me chill vibes. No chill vibes from this no one. Chill vibes. Zero chill vibes. Zero chill vibes from BTK. it any closing thoughts on, on on this whole thing? I feel like it was a review in psychosis and a review in the crazy and a, just a look into uh just, just something so mind-bending like hey, how somebody my closing oh go ahead buddy sorry but my my closing thought on all this is if i was in that situation after reviewing all of this that we've seen patty and all the the stories that you went through of what these people went through and how they got killed what would i do in a situation like that if somebody came into my house and says okay Lay down. I'm gonna tie you up. I'm gonna be like, uh, no, we're gonna fight. You're gonna kill me, or and that's it. I'm not gonna listen to anything you have to say. I'm gonna defend myself until that's it. Like my uncle, he said once he got into a car and he's picking this girl up, some random girl giving her a ride, hitchhiker. She pulled a knife on him, or a gun or something, and he says, okay, okay, cool. All right, guess what? There's a wall up there. He begins racing the car towards the wall. Drop it, like or that. else I'm gonna crash his car. She drops a knife. It's like, no man, you want to rip my ass? We're going into a wall. We're we're driving right. somewhere. We're driving into a lake. I can't swim, but we're going down together, baby. I like it. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna fight. So I learned a lot from this episode of things you should not be doing. Do not comply with uh, a person who wants to say, hey, give me some food. Let me tie okay. you up. No. Let me tie you up. No. Bitch, we're gonna fight. No, let me tie you up. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Patty, you have any uh, closing thoughts on BTK? Yeah, like I said before, we need to get it out of our heads that just because somebody goes to church 
that they're a good person, that just because they're a Boy Scout leader, they're a good person. We need to start looking at people's actions and the way they act and set that stuff apart. That's how I feel. And this made me feel really strongly about it. I think had this been, as had he been doing this and maybe been not into the church and not doing X, Y, Z, maybe he would have been looked at because he was a census worker and he had access to these homes, and, you know, so whatever. But that's my big thing is like, stop trusting people based on their credentials and get to know them, you know? Okay. I agree 100%. And I tell you, I think that this guy was in such a different world. I tell you that whole church, that whole Cub Scout stuff. And I know really lovely people who like part yeah. of that whole Boy Scout sure. shit like that. Yeah. Not something I was into. Right, I'm not that good a parent. I cannot give that type of commitment to it. Like seriously, those Cub Scouts spend so much time in that program. You know, it's what intense. I mean? It's super it's intense, intense, man. When I really yeah. fast, when I was a kid, to Beverly Hills. Have you guys ever seen that movie? With Shelley Long. Shelley Long. I watched <laughs> Beverly Hills. I was like, oh my God, being a Girl Scout is so fun. You get to shop and do fun things. So I begged my mom. I was like, I want to be a Girl Scout. I want to be a Girl Scout. I want to be a Girl Scout. My mom took me to a Girl Scout meeting. I went to a Girl Scout meeting. It was not like True Beverly Hills. It was like all outdoor <laughs> stuff. I was like, I'm not into this. <laughs> <laughs> That's like, nope. No. It's, it's intense. Much. It's intense. Yeah. Yeah. And it have that it have that vibe, man, from some people, I'm not saying all, that it have this degree of uh, righteousness because you attend church on a Sunday. You know, who cares what you really believe in? Who cares? You know, you go to church on a Sunday and it's cool. Or you do a service or you do something within your religion and you follow that tenant that other people follow and it's cool. But it take it, man. It should have some more self-examination to the people that you let into your lives. And it, it have like a difference between being part of a community and having like three, four, five, six, seven people in your life who genuinely know you and could genuinely call out when you're being an asshole, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that like more productive for your spirit as a human than being part of these these scale communities you know just having yeah. some some real people in your life who say hey that was an asshole move <laughs> why, why are you doing something <laughs> like that oh hey that's not cool why you would yeah. act like that man that's not nice you're being a bit of a dick you know <laughs> you're being a, a dick a bit of a dick <laughs> uh, uh, hey hey bud you know looking at people like that I'm just driving around and looking about that shit's creepy you wanna you wanna do that, buddy? Yeah, I'll stop. I'll stop. I'll stop. <laughs> yeah, you should stop. In my big old van. Just don't roll around looking at people in your van, man. And I have one of those winding down windows too. I just kind of load, load, push, you know, winding down. I'm like, hey, what's up? You should. You up. should also stop offering children candy. That's just weird. Don't do that anymore. I <laughs> was a kid then. <laughs> In school. <laughs> that's how I that's how I meet Khalid in a college. Man. That's how I meet Khalid in college. I just see this this line of MMs and Skittles that was just <laughs> on the floor and it leaked his van. 
But I was like, I was like 19. I was like, I like Skittles and M&M's, dude. And then it was Khalid and his van. And then he looked at me, he was like, oh shit. So get out of here. You're not the one I'm looking for. I caught one, but he's a little, it's not it's right. a little big. You're kind of big, but you could jump in. We'll, we'll get a chicken sandwich. You Come on, let's go. We can best friends afterwards. Like, okay, and buddy. you said, and you said, "Hey, Khalid, you're being a bit of a dick." And Khalid changed his way, so it's all. Yeah, I was like, "Dude, I'm being a bit of my skittles like to myself." Can't be putting skittles on your phone like that, buddy. No, no, no. All right. Well, anything else on the the BTK guys? No, man. No. Go kill me a sandwich. Now that's about it. You told I'm starving. <laughs> All right. What kind of sandwich? I don't know yet. We'll see. Mm-hmm. A Skittle and M&M sandwich. Skittle and M&M. Yum, yum. Yum, yum. All right. Okay. That's it for this week's show. Bye. Bye.